0: Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise God. All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Revelation chapter uh, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of Revelation. Now, I know that uh, we're going to be moving. And, uh, you know, I know the train is getting a little uh, a little slow getting out of station. But after tonight, we're going to get out of the station a little bit. And move a little bit quicker, but uh, you know tonight in the book of Revelation chapter one uh, I'm going to read a verse of scripture and then we 're going to look at a lot of things tonight and uh, you know I got this banner so that so that it would help bring some perspective that when uh, i'm talking or when I 'm sharing that we can refer to it occasionally that'll help you uh, give you a chronological order of events that happen in the book of revelation it'll give you somewhat of a chronicle order of of how things that are happening. but tonight I want to talk about the golden key of the book of Revelation, and I want to talk about what is the key. What is the um, uh, the message tonight? Is the golden key of the book of Revelation? And uh, there's a couple of them, and uh, they're in a couple of verses. And uh, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the book of Revelation, uh, people think that it's a book to fear, and uh, matter of fact, it's it's sometimes it's preached that way. And uh, of course, there are things in it that are fearful for those who are not believers but it's great hope for those who believe tonight and so if you're born again you got every reason to be hopeful tonight and it's, you, you, everything you read in there is a good but if you're not born again tonight and you're not saved you have every reason to be afraid uh, because if you miss the rapture of the church then there's a lot of things coming the days ahead that you should know about, and so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But but you know it's interesting because when you begin to look at verse five, uh, we're going to go to verse nineteen is where my focus is going to be tonight. But in verse five it says, "From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth." Listen to this. I want you to see this. This book starts with the grace of God. Now we think that this book is about fear. I'm going to show you. That God's grace is in the beginning of this book. How many know God, everything starts with the grace of God? How many are thankful your salvation began with the grace of God? And so verse 5, it says this. It says, to him who loved us, some translations, the actual really translation should be loves us. It's present tense in the Greek. How many have loves us in your Bible? It says loves us. Uh, That's the proper translation, and it doesn't mean that He did love us. It doesn't mean that He will love us. doesn't mean that one day He will, or going to, or thinking about it. How many know He loves us right now, even where we are? He loves us. He loved us on the cross. He loved us before we got saved. How many know it was the goodness and the love of God that brought us to repentance and to knowing Him? He who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How many are thankful he washed you of your sins? And the word there really really means this. It's, it's, it means that he has, uh, it's past tense, it means he has loosed us. So it's past tense, which means that on the cross, he, he loosed us. He washed us. It means to loose. Actually, the word is is that he took the key and he loosed us as one that would be unlocked or as one that is in chains, that the chains would be unlocked. And how many are thankful he loosed you from your chains. He washed you in the blood of Jesus. Your bondage uh, broke off when you got saved. So he loves you. He loosed you. And then he didn't just leave you like that. Verse 6 says, and he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not only did he loose you, not only does he love you, but he wants to raise us up as kings and priests in the kingdom of God. How many know that's good news tonight? If that's not grace, I don't know what grace is. And that is the grace of God tonight. But I want us to look at, at, at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 uh, to begin with tonight. And the book of Revelation can be, at times, hard to understand. And so because of that, I believe there's some keys in understanding the book of Revelation. I'm going I'm to try to break some of it down for you tonight and, uh, and kind of help unlock some of that for you. But we know that as we read the book of Revelation... We, we said last week, in the last couple of weeks, we know he that reads the book, this is a those who read this book, those that hear it, those that read it, those that hear it, those that, that keep it, what to say? That they are blessed. The Bible says he that reads this book, he that hears what this word has to say, and he that keeps it, he's blessed. Blessed is the man that, that reads this book and keeps it, And and here's all that has been written and all that has been said. That we be blessed if we read it and heed to it. And I thank God that we can heed to it tonight and listen for it and and listen to it. But I want us to read verse 19 tonight. And it says this, beginning verse 19. uh, This is Paul, or uh, John. God is giving him, uh, he's revealing to him what the key is to this book. It's hanging on the front door right at the beginning of this book. This is John's commission. This is what God is commissioning John to do. Look what it says. It says, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. That's his commission. That's the commission to write the book of Revelation, to write the things which you have seen, to write the things which are, And to write the things that are hereafter and the things that that come hereafter. Now, uh, we look at this. John saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to talk about that vision. If you look up here, Revelation 1, John has a vision of Christ. He has a fresh vision of who Jesus is. And in the vision, uh, he sees Jesus like he's never seen Jesus before. We're not going to go through it all, but I will say this, that the description of who Jesus is uh, is much different than what John had seen him previously. His his revealing to John is interesting. Matter of fact, his revealing here in chapter 1 is much different than the revelation of who he is in Revelation 19. But who he is right here is interesting because in this vision that John sees here in chapter 1 of the resurrected Christ, the vision of Christ that he has seen, uh, is a picture of Jesus um, in, uh, in linen garments. He is, in, uh, he is wearing uh, linen gar- garments and priestly garments. But not just priestly garments, but the priest had two, two types of garments they wore. There were garments they wore daily, which had eight uh, aspects of that garment that talked about the eight great things of God. They wore them on them. Uh, There were things that were uh, uh, a picture of how they wore every day. But when they would go into the temple one day a year to provide atonement for the nation or the people, they would wear nothing but linen. And they would wear these linen garments. And this is how John sees Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us that even right now, Jesus is making intercession for us. He sits at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for us. What is he doing? He's around the throne of God, interceding for us. He's continuing to wear the priestly garments, the garments of atonement, the garments of redemption, the garments that deliver, the garments that set us free, and he continues to act at right now as a deliverer, as, a, as one who atones for, as one who brings salvation to at this moment. But how many know there's a day when Jesus comes back when he no longer will be wearing the atoning garments, but he will be wearing the garments of a king and the garments of one who will set himself up as king over all the world? How many know the time will end for you to get saved? The day will come when men no longer will have the choice to be able to come to Christ, but the day will come when all of that is finished, and it's at the revelation of Jesus in Revelation 19 when he comes back as king and priest. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that tonight, but I wanted to get that to you. So here's the thing. What Jesus is doing in the vision of Christ to John, he is not concealing anything, but he's revealing something. He's revealing who he is. And so the Bible tells us that the purpose of... of, He said, John, I want you to write the things which you have seen. In other words, to show that Jesus has come. He saw a vision of Christ. Now, in the vision... He saw Jesus, he's living, he's a resurrected Savior, he's King of kings, and he's Lord of lords. Jesus is not past tense, Jesus is right now. He is alive even at this moment that we are. He is living and resurrected. And he says, write the things which you had seen. The things which John had seen are past things. Things that he saw in that vision. Things that he saw there. And then he gives him another instruction. Secondly, he says, I want you to write the things which are. The things which are. I want you to write these things which are now. In other words, that represents the things which are now are what we call the church age. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is all about the church age. You're living in the church age right now. And you're living... Uh, in this age where the church age is, in chapters, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it is the things which are now. It's the things which are. It's the, he gets a message to the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These are seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. These, are, these were literal churches in Asia. These were little churches, uh, literal churches that were born out of Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 18. Uh, Paul began in Ephesus, and he began to missionary and build these churches out of the church of Ephesus there uh, in Ephesus, and all of these churches are related in the region of Asia there, and they were literal churches. They were churches that were real, but they're also not only churches that are real, But they are also representative churches of all the churches that are through the ages. The things that we see about these churches are things that we see in the churches which are today. There's warnings. There's encouragement. There's promises that are in those churches. There are instruction that God gives. We we see personalities of congregations and, and of ages, and they represent a church age. Jesus is here now present things. It's about present things. He is showing us that in chapters 2 and 3 that he is in the midst of his church. That Jesus is alive and well and he is in the midst of his church. The Bible says in Matthew 18 where two or three are gathered in his name. What is it? He is in the midst. Is that not right? He is in the midst of those things. And so he talks about, 2 and 3, talks about these things which are And then he goes into talking about the things which are to come are those things which are hereafter. So those things which have been seen, those are past things. Things which are are present things now. But I want to talk a little bit tonight about the things that are to come are the things that are hereafter. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview and go through and give you some events that are going to happen throughout the book of Revelation, the major events. I'm going to skim them, give you a little bit of taste of what they are tonight, and then we're going to move into talking about them uh, in more in-depth later on. But then he goes into talking about the things which shall be. Those are prophetic things. Those are things that are yet to happen. And uh, uh, and we are yet to see. And so uh, Jesus has come. Jesus is here now, in present things. But Jesus, the prophetic things are yet to come. And how many know Jesus is coming back? How many know that He is going to return? These are prophetic things, which are things to come. And how many know only God knows the future? Is that right? Would you all say? Would you? It's safe to say God knows the future. Let me read to you out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 46 and verses 9 and 10. You may want to write this down. God knows the future. He knows all things. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Now, this is interesting in Hebrew, because when it says declaring the end from the beginning, it means repetitiveness. It means that God means that he is declaring it and declaring it and declaring it and declaring it. As events happen, it doesn't mean he declares it one time. The the, the language here is that there's a constant declaring. In other words, God knows the future, and as time goes on, God begins to reveal and declare the future as time moves forward. Do Do you get that? Does that make sense? And from ancient times, things which are not yet done, verse 10 saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all I will do all according to my pleasure. God knows the future. God knows what the future holds. He knows the hereafter things that are coming. And one of the ways that we know the Bible is inspired and an errant and infallible word of God is because of fulfilled prophecy. In other words, what God has already fulfilled um, uh, has already been an indication that he will fulfill the rest, right? How many know that we know that when prophecy is fulfilled and the prophecies that have been fulfilled, we know God will fulfill the rest because he's already fulfilled some prophecy. So we know that God is faithful to do that. Peter Stoner, who's a mathematician, uh, and, a, and he studies the science of probability, he uh, he, uh, he took... He took eight prophecies of the Old Testament concerning Jesus and His coming. The first time, he took those eight prophecies and and took mathematically uh, put a formula together that would have predicted that how, that those eight prophecies would have come together. What was the percentage of those prophecies coming together? Those just eight. Just I mean, there's more, but just eight. He said this. He said that it would have taken to fulfill those eight prophecies by one man would have been one and centillion uh, chances that that would have been fulfilled. He said it's like taking a stack of dimes and putting them in a room uh, 80,000 or 800,000 square feet, taking a stack of dimes all together, stacked together, taking one dime marked, throwing it in there, blindfolding a man and going in and trying to find it. That's how he said the coincidence of that happening, of those prophecies being fulfilled. But how do we know all things are possible with God? How do we know God fulfills all things? God, we know that God fulfills all things. So I want to talk about an overview, a panorama of some of the prophetic events that are getting ready to happen and when they're going to happen. And I want you to uh, look at those tonight. I'm going to give you seven of them, seven uh, indication seven prophetic things that 's coming in the hereafter that that is going to ha- happen that is ready to begin to happen and so I want to share those with you really quick tonight number one is number one is the rapture of the church and the departure of the saints the first thing that 's ready to happen is the rapture of the church and the departure of the saints everything is in Is in order for the rapture of the church and the departure of the saints. If you go to chapter 4 and verse 1, I want you to read this. This is interesting because um, it begins at this. It says, After these things, John, John looks, he said, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Now that's interesting. Now we know by John's description that it was a familiar voice. Why was it a familiar voice? Because he heard the voice of Jesus in chapter 1, right? He said, this voice was like the voice of a trumpet. And, And speaking with me, saying, what did it say? Come up hither, right? Now, this is interesting because it's not just an invitation individually. This is a declaration. In the language, it doesn't mean like an invitation to just one person, it's like a clarion call. It's like if I was speaking to my wife and I would say, Honey, come into my office. I would say, Laura, come into my office. Come into my office. But if I wanted all of you to come into my office, I wouldn't say, Laura, come into my office. I would say, come into my office, everyone that can. And it's kind of like a clarion call. It's not just the John. It's a call to those who hear the voice of the trumpet. It's a call to those who hear and those that are willing to hear. And so how many know that when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it it says this beginning in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with what? The trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love what it says at the end of that. Comfort one another with these words. Isn't that a great promise? How many know there's going to be a shout of the archangel? The trumpet is going to sound. And the dead in Christ is going to rise. And we that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him forever changed in a moment. Glory. Come on, that's the next. That's coming, y'all. That's the next event that's coming. There's the rapture of the church, the gathering of the church. And you say, well, how do you know that this is the calling? Well, one, we know the, the language. But two, from chapter 1, Uh, chapter 4 verse 3. Let me read a little further. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat was like a Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were twenty and four thrones and on the thrones I saw twenty and four elders sitting clothed in white robes and then Crowns of gold on their head, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In other words, John is caught up in this vision and he's seeing the throne room of God. He is seeing the four and 24 elders, which means there were 12 in the Old Testament, there were the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, uh, which were the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, we have the 12 apostles. Who led the, so it's a picture of being in the throne room of God. The church is now in heaven. The church is now before the throne room. The church has been evacuated. We've left. We've left the building, as you would say. The church has been lifted up. And no longer do you see the church on the earth from chapter four to the end of chapter 22. You no longer see the church on the earth, or is the church mentioned as being on the earth? all the way the rest through the book of Revelation. And so it is the promise of of the the trumpet and the sounding of the trumpet. We're exit out of here. See, we're not looking for a sign or prophecy to be fulfilled before Jesus can come. We know he can come anytime. Y'all with me? Y'all know he can come, like right now. I mean, we're not looking for another sign. We don't need another sign in order to depict whether or not he's coming again, whether or not Matthew twenty four forty two says this: Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord uh, your Lord is coming. Therefore, also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour ye do not know. The Bible said that he shall come like a thief in the night. The resurrection, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints. The second major event that happens in the book of Revelation that we need to see tonight, that I want you to see, is this. Number two, the rise of the beast and the deceptions of the devil. The rise of the beast and the deceptions of the devil. How many know the church is salt and light? We are salt and light. In other words, what does salt do? It preserves, it heals. Salt restrains. How many know there's a hostility towards the church? How many know that there are a lot of people in the world that wish we were gone? (laughs) Guess what? They're going to get their wish. There's going to be a day we are gone. And once the church is gone, corruption is going to break out everywhere. And to lead that corruption will be a man called the beast. And he will be a man that's called the beast. He is also called the man of sin or the Antichrist. Look at Revelation chapter 13 and look at verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. Then I stood on the sand of the seas and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now remember, John is writing in imagery and he's using imagery. Whenever you see the sea or you ever see the imagery of the sea, What you are seeing is humanity. The seas represent humanity. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, right? Seven heads and ten horns. Remember, we talked last week, what is the number seven? The number of perfection. Is that right? Uh, Seven heads, right? Heads mean wisdom. Ten, Ten represents completeness. Remember, we talked about it last week. And, and horns represent power. He is a man that is full of, and then the Bible goes on to say, um, and now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power. Now the dragon, that that is, that is um, the dragon is Satan, and we'll talk about that later. The dragon is Satan, and the uh uh, the, the dragon gave him power and his throne a great authority and I saw one of his heads as if uh, a mortal wound and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Listen, he will have signs and wonders. He will have uh, signs and wonders. He is, the, he is the, uh, this antichrist. No one will be able... Listen, when he comes on the scene... It says he has ten crowns, which means dominion. It says blasphemy shall come out of his mouth, which means he will blaspheme God. That's his character. And so he will blaspheme God. And then the Bible says this, that that when this happens, he'll be like Satan's Superman. And what will happen is is that no one will be able to buy and sell, that everyone will have to be marked. Everyone will be marked in order to buy and to sell and and in order to to, uh, get the beast's will be attractive and highly intelligent person and will appear as a savior to the world, but will be totally and thoroughly bad. In other words, he will be someone that is not, uh, uh, he will give the appearance that he is a savior. He'll give the appearance that he uh, uh, is great. John Phillips said it like this. This is what he said in describing the Antichrist. He will be a most attractive person, variable savior, to a world uh, 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 corning like an express train without a throttle, uh, wide open, out of control, without uh, a man at the helm. No doubt his personal charm will be great. His intelligent genius will be immense. His wealth and influence um, will, be, uh, uh, will be proverbial. His authority uh, over power, his passion and hatred will be extraordinary. His organizational skills, under uh, uh, under uh, 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 his organizational skills uh, and his techniques will be superb. He'll be a man will flow who will men will follow him to their death. Women will swoon at his at him. Children will say his name as a savior of the world, the hope of mankind. Yet he will be utterly and thoroughly. Bad. He'll be a counterfeit Christ. People will be marked. And in order, in order he will set up systems, in order for people to buy and sell, uh, they will have to have the mark that he uh, puts on them. And so there is the rise of the beast and the deception of the devil. Number three, the great tribulation, the, the third great event that's going to happen is going to be the great tribulation And the devastation of the earth. The great tribulation and the devastation of the earth. Now the Antichrist is going to deceive all the nations. And when he deceives all of the nations, if you look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 and beginning in verse 12. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Beginning in verse 12. I looked. And when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black and sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, the fig trees. Then the sky receded the scroll, and when it rolled up, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders the mighty men every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and said and, and said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb and the great day of wrath has come and he and he who is able who is he that is able to stand in other words there will be a great tribulation and there will be a great uh, God will pour out his wrath. The Antichrist will gather nations together. But in this moment, God is going to begin to pour out his judgment and his wrath upon the earth. And he's going to do that. And he's going to release that. And, uh, uh, and it will be such a terrible time. Men, the Bible says men will wish to die, but will not be able to die. It will be a time like no other. In other words, God will begin to pour out and he'll begin to open all of these judgments. All of these things that you see uh, will begin to open up and will begin to be poured out over the earth. Will begin to be poured out on the earth. There will be a great tribulation and the devastation of the earth. And so God will pour out his wrath. The wrath of the Lamb will be poured out. Number four. The the fourth great event that's going to happen in the book of Revelation is Armageddon and the defeat of the beast and his armies in Revelation. Look with me at Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16 and beginning in verse 13 through 16. What's going to begin here? Is the Armageddon and defeat of the beast and his armies. The Great Tribulation period will last for seven years. It'll go on for seven years. The last three and a half years will be the most horrifying of them all. The Great Tribulation will end with a battle, end with the battle of what is called the Battle of Armageddon. Here at this battle, the beast and his armies will be defeated. Now I want you to, to see this in verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, who's the dragon that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that is the antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, who's the false uh, the false prophet. And so, and they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth. And of the whole world to gather them to battle, of, uh, uh, to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Lest he walks naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to a place in the Hebrew called Armageddon. Or the place of Armageddon. There comes this battle. The demonic spirits are released on the earth. They will gather the kings of the earth. They will gather all of those that are under the Antichrist system. They will gather to battle and to this. World leaders will gather to this place on the Mount of Megiddo and they will come. The Bible tells us in Zechariah that they will rise up and come against Jerusalem, that they will rise up and begin to come against Jerusalem. And, and this battle will begin to take place. In Revelation 19, 19, beginning in verse 11 through 16, tells us how this battle ends up. In verse 11, it says this, Now I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now, the first time we see, we see heaven open up is when the church is gathered up in the rapture, which is right here. We see the church raptured right here. The second time we see heaven open up is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There in Revelation 19, you're getting a picture of the revelation of who Jesus is. And he comes back, and he's coming back to execute what? To bring judgment Upon the earth. But is he coming back by himself? No. He's not coming back by himself. Who does he have with him? He has the church of the Lord Jesus that is with him. Look at verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He, he had a name written. And no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name was called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. We're coming back with him to do war. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with them with a rod of iron. And he himself uh, treads the wine presses of the the. Uh, uh, of the uh, fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty, and he has on his robe uh, with his thigh a name written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It's a return of the Lord. Now, think about this for just a moment. We are caught up at the beginning of the things which are to come, to be hereafter. The church is raptured. And so, while all havoc is going on on the earth, while all chaos is happening on the earth, all over, we're in heaven. So, what happens in heaven while we're there? What happens in heaven while, while all this chaos is going on on the earth? Look at the chaos that happens. There's these judgments, these seals that open up, and there's disasters, there's, there's hail and blood, the burning of the mountains. Uh, the uh, star wormwood that comes, Uh, locusts, which are demons, horsemen, all of these, the worship of of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then comes the vile judgments. Darkness comes on the earth. The Euphrates dries up, and all the armies of the earth cross over to destroy Jerusalem. And they come in to destroy Jerusalem. And right at the moment when they're getting ready to destroy Jerusalem, When the armies of the Antichrist have gathered themselves together to set up his rule, all of a sudden, heaven opens up and the Lamb is revealed. Jesus comes as King and he's revealed. He's a revelation to the world and we are to come with him. And as we come with him, he comes to set up reign for a thousand years. Now I'm telling you, that's some scene. Now that's sci-fi right there. If you want some sci-fi, that's that's, that's it, right? Jesus comes. Listen, he comes, not at, he comes not at the rapture, but at the revelation in power and great glory. The battle of Armageddon takes place when Jesus returns again, and he comes not for his saints the second time, but he comes with his saints. And his armies defeat, and the great tribulation will end, and the Lord Jesus will fight the battle uh, with one weapon. Isn't it interesting? He uses one weapon, and his weapon is his mouth, which is the word of God. Isn't it amazing? He uses his mouth, one weapon he uses. It's as a sword. At his word, as it is spoken, it becomes his sword. And so all the nations of the world will gather against Israel, and he, by by his word, he will destroy them all. Now, that's a heck of a scene right there. I mean, he comes in Revelation, and he comes, and the beast will be defeated. The Antichrist will be destroyed. The, those who, who, who rise up against Christ, the world leaders, will be destroyed at this moment. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. I never saw this before, but I want to show you something. It says that, that God always gives us a prophetic picture Before we ever see the reality. In other words, God always uses the prophetic to help us understand the reality. Now, I want you to see something. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see a picture of the Antichrist and the Battle of Armageddon. Did you know that? That when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, you will see a picture of the Battle of Armageddon with the Antichrist. Hang with me for a moment. What was Jesus doing? He was praying. Is that not right? What does the Bible say that he's doing in heaven right now? He's interceding for you and I right now. Is that not right? He's praying and interceding for us. As he is praying, the Bible says that Judas shows up. Judas shows up with an army, and he shows up with priests. Judas was called and was known as the son of perdition. You know who else was called the son of perdition? The Antichrist is known as the son of perdition. Anti means against or instead of, and so he was a picture. And so the Bible says Satan entered into Judas. Nowhere else in the Bible do we see Satan physically entering into a person. Now we know people can be demon possessed, and so, but he shows up with an army of Roman soldiers and priests with their torches and spears. And swords. It's just like the Roman soldiers, or like the armies of the world that will gather against, and the kings of the world that will come against. It'll be just like, it'll be just like the beasts of the of the uh, 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 of the earth, and the priests will come, and they represent the false prophets of the earth. And Jesus, as they're coming, they come, and Jesus says this to them: Who do you seek? And they say, we seek Jesus. And what did the Bible say? The Bible said, and when Judas kissed him on the cheek, Jesus said this, he said, I am he, right? What happened when he spoke those words? They all fell out. They all fell to the ground. See, it was a picture of, the time, of what's coming. God with his word, with his spoken word, when he returns, that the armies of the world, the Antichrist, are going to come and battle and fight him. And with his spoken word, he will defeat them and take and become reign over all of the earth. I don't know about you, but praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Just his word, I am. Just his word out of his mouth, I am. How was the battle fought? The sword out of Jesus' mouth. Whoo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is good. Armageddon and and the seat of the beast and his armies. Number five. The the fifth major event that's going to take place in the book of Revelation is the millennial reign of peace and dominion of Jesus. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut it up and set a seal upon it so that he should not deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished But after these things, he must be released for a short time. The fifth major event is the millennial reign of Christ. That's for a thousand years. When Jesus comes and we come with him, there will be a peace time that happens. And the lamb and the lion will lay together. There will be no war. There will be no disease. We will reign with him. There will be peace on earth. And the Bible tells us in Habakkuk that the earth, that the the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It tells us in Isaiah 2 that, that the swords will be turned into plowshares and spears into pruning. And there will be ultimate peace in all the nations and all around. So when Jesus comes and he defeats mystery Babylon, Babylon the great, and wins the battle of Armageddon? He will usher in a thousand year reign where Satan is bound and there'll be peace on earth. And we will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, this is important because if you ever want to know why your Christian life is important, you're about to find out. Remember all this time why chaos is all over the earth in Revelation 4 through 19 through the great tribulation? Where are we? We're in heaven. Is that not right? And when we get to heaven, one of the first things that happen is, as we come before what is called the judgment seat of Christ. You and I will be judged for our Christian life. We will be given crowns, right? We will be rewarded for our service and how we serve the Lord on the, this earth. But not only are we rewarded for our, our, how we serve the Lord on this earth, We will also be given our assignment in the millennial reign. In other words, you will receive where you will rule. The Bible says we will rule and reign with Christ, which means we all will have an assignment in the millennial reign. Now, I don't want to get too deep into it tonight, but when we talk about it, you will see that during the millennial reign, the people that lived through the tribulation will still be alive. There will be children and people born during the millennial reign. There will be the preaching of the gospel through the millennial reign. There will be, through the millennial reign, we will rule and reign with Christ. And so your position in the kingdom will be based on your performance now in the family. So your position in the kingdom of God in the millennial reign will be based on your performance in the family now, see, at that time, it's not a question of whether or not you're in the family of God. The question is, is, is what will be your, your position in the kingdom? And you say, well, as long as I get to heaven, as long as I get there, as long as I you don't just want to get there. You want to rule and reign with him. You want to be there to rule and reign with him in this moment of ultimate peace uh, and, and there's the married supper of the Lamb. We know that. And, and then there's the revelation of Christ. When we talk about the rapture of the church, there's going to be some things we look for. There's a couple of things I believe personally that maybe some other folks don't believe. One is I believe that, that there will be believers who will miss the rapture. I believe that because the Bible speaks that those who go in the rapture are those who are overcomers, not just those that are believers but those that overcome. Because to the seven churches of Asia, there are seven promises to the overcomer. All of those seven promises have to do with heaven. All of them have to do with being in heaven. I believe there are believers that are playing with God. I believe they halfway live for God, and I believe that there's a possibility they might be left behind. That's just my personal thing. And I'm going to show you some scripture why I believe that. You don't have to believe that. Might be wrong, but you you don't have to believe it. But but also in Revelation 6, we see those who are the Bible says there are those in heaven, the church, and they look under the throne in Revelation 6, and they say, Who are these who have white robes that are dipped in blood? And and the angel says, These are those who were the martyrs of the tribulation. In other words, I believe that if you don't live Jesus here you'll have to die for him here and if you can't live for him on this side of the rapture what makes you think you're going to make it on that side of the rapture that's just my opinion that and two dollars you can get a cup of coffee so the millennial reign number six the final judgment and the doom of the lost The sixth major event in the book of Revelation is the final judgment and the doom of the lost. Revelation 20. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 20 and 11 through 15. The Bible says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, This is the second death. And anyone, listen, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hmm. There's coming a time when the unsaved will be judged and have to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. How does the millennial reign end? It ends with the final judgment of Revelation 20 to 22. There's the final judgment where God will resurrect the dead and resurrect the sea will give up its dead. All will be and stand before God and the unsaved will stand and give an account of their life. So we have the rapture of the church here and we have the judgment seat of Christ here but we don't have the judgment, the final judgment till here. Why is it that that believers are judged sooner than unbelievers? The reason is this. The reason is is that judgment judgment comes comes last because the wave of sin has, has, has not hit the shores of eternity yet. How many know sin has influence? How many know that everything you do in life has an influence on someone's life? How many know there are men today that no longer live, but they still have influence on the lives of individuals? Did you know that men will be judged for that? And the reason God waits for the end of time or the end of the final judgment is because though men die, their influence live, we are still accountable for our influence. Let me give you an example of this. Let me just use Hugh Hefner for an example. Hugh Hefner said this. He said that in his lifetime, he wanted to put sex on the mind of every individual on the face of the earth. That's what his goal was. How many know he succeeded in some senses? That he put sexuality and perversion on the minds of a world? How many know that his influence still lives today? How many know today... Men, his influence that are in men still go out and commit sin and influence others and influence others. It's like a pebble being dropped in a lake or an ocean and the ripple of that thing continues on and continues on and continues on. We don't like to hear it, but the truth is your influence will be judged even after you're gone. The impact that you have on others as an unbeliever, even after you're gone, there'll be a, 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 a cumulative judgment that will come, and the history books will be open, and the final judgment of the unsaved will be given, and not only will you be judged for what you've done, you will also be judged for the influence of your life. That's a heavy pill, isn't it? That's a hard nut to swallow, as I would, some would say. But at the final judgment, the unsaved will be cast into the lake of fire. An unsaved, lost world. How many know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? How many know there's a real hell? How many know there's a real hell? Men who are lost are going there. Think of your loved ones and your family right now that do not know Christ. They died at this moment. They'd be lost without Jesus. That final judgment will come, the doom of the loss. And then finally, number seven tonight, the seventh major event in the book of Revelation that we will look at in what's called the final state and the destiny of mankind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is where we win. This is where it ends. This is where it all culminates. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 6 through 8. Look what it says. I love this. And he said to me, it is done. Hallelujah. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Listen, verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit what all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murder, uh, sexual immoral, sorcerer, idolater, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Which is the second death. In other words, uh, there's a choice. In other words, I've come to tell you this tonight. You have a life to live. You have a death to die. A judgment to face. And an eternity to endure. You must be born again in order to miss hell and reach heaven. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him drink of the water freely. Let him come and drink of the water freely. We all have a final eternal state. We all will stand before God and give an account of our lives to each one. In closing tonight, I want to show you something interesting um, in the Word of God. We hear the phrase through Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, we hear the phrase, the Alpha and the Omega. How many of you have seen that? Revelation 1.8, it says, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We've seen it here again in Revelation 16, a few minutes ago. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. You ever wondered the interesting aspect of that? We know that it's the beginning, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. But here's what's interesting. In the Hebrew, the word alpha uh, comes from the Hebrew word um, uh, uh, aleph. It means, it means uh, aleph, and then the word omega comes from the Hebrew word tav, alaf, tav. The Hebrew words. Now, Hebrew language has imagery. Remember I told you last week that the Greek language has numerology, right? I told you the number of Jesus, which was what? 888, right? So in the Hebrew, alpha and omega, the Hebrew language has imagery. Many of the Hebrew words are attached to the imagery of different images. So the word uh, alaf, or the word for omega in the Hebrew, represents the ox. The image is the ox. And the omega, which is the Hebrew word tav, represents the image of a cross. Now get this for a moment. In the beginning, in the Old Testament, how was men redeemed? By bulls and goats, right? By the sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament. How are we redeemed in the New Testament? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha when he came first in the Old Testament, and he's the Omega, the cross of the New Testament. In other words, from beginning to end, he's our Savior. From beginning to end, he's our Redeemer. He redeems us all and delivers us all. I heard a story this past couple of weeks. I was with a pastor in Philadelphia, and he was from Chicago. And he told me this story. He said, this is a true story. He said a man was standing on the street corner in Chicago, and there used to be a bar in Chicago called Hell's Tavern. Hell's Tavern. Wouldn't you like to go there? <laughs> I bet that was an interesting place to be. Hell's Tavern. He said a man was standing on the street corner one day, and a guy came and was asking for directions. He said, hey, do you know where Hell's Tavern is? He said, yes. Go down the street, past Calvary Church, and you'll get to Hell's Tavern. How many know in order to get to hell, you've got to pass Calvary? Each one of us. We all have to go by Calvary. We all have to go by, by answer to how we are going to live our lives and give our lives to Christ. Are we going to give our lives to Jesus? Pastor Adam, if you'll come tonight. Are we going to give our hearts and minds to Christ? Are we going to give who we are to Jesus tonight? Because every man has to go through Calvary. Every man has to go through the blood of Jesus in order to get to heaven. John wrote on the island of Patmos. Let me give you a little nugget about the island of Patmos. John was put there when he was 90 years old. He was put there by a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian. Domitian hated John. You know why he hated him? Other than the fact that he belonged to God? He hated John because he tried to boil John in oil. And he would not die. Isn't that amazing? So while he was boiling John, he wouldn't die. I believe God supernaturally protected him. I believe God, I believe he boiled him and he wouldn't die. And he boiled him and he wouldn't die. Just like he protected the three Hebrew children in the midst of the fire... I believe he protected John. I believe Domitian was so mad that he couldn't kill him, he just, he just exiled him. Just got, got rid of him. Could you imagine what was on Domitian's mind when he dipped John in that oil and he came back up praising God? And he dipped him again and he came back up praising God and he couldn't kill him? John tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 1, he says, am I not a brother with you in your tribulation. So he, he exiled him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Some believe he also wrote the Gospel of John in first, second, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John also. And uh, it's interesting. They send him to the island of Patmos. Ninety years earlier on the island of Patmos, The island was dedicated. It was dedicated to a god by the name of Hermes. Guess what Hermes' name meant. It meant messenger of the gods. (laughs) Patmos was named after Hermes, which was an island, messenger of the gods. And here Domitian exiles John to the island who is the messenger of the God. (laughs) Is that not, listen, is God not smart? Is he not mocking the devil? You say, well, that's just like God. It's exactly what God did to the Egyptians. What did he do? Each plague that God sent was to mock the Egyptian gods. And the Egyptian world, stand with me if you would, in the Egyptian world, there are two things the Egyptians hated more than anything. They would not eat lamb. They hated lambs. And they hated shepherds. Matter of fact, in Genesis 46, it'll tell you their hatred for shepherds. They thought shepherds and lambs were the most despicable. They were unclean and dirty and they, were, they would not eat lamb, and they would not associate with shepherds. Isn't it interesting that when God delivered the children of Israel, the Bible said, what did he tell them to do that night? To eat a lamb, and to do what? And put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, which saved the firstborn of their children, and delivered them. The pride of Egypt would never and put the blood of lamb over their doorposts. They despised them. Guess what delivered the children of Israel from Egypt? The very two things that Egypt despised. The shepherd Moses who stepped up and said, to give, let my people go. Do you know when Pharaoh looked at him in his shepherd outfit and his robe and his staff and saw him as a shepherd, God was forcing Pharaoh to bow down to a shepherd, which was the most despicable thing in the eyes of the Egyptians. And it was the blood of the lamb that delivered them. No wonder he hardened his heart. How many know there's another shepherd that's coming? How many know we have a great shepherd in Christ Jesus? How many know all this is going to wind up one day? And that the reality of this is coming. It's the days ahead. And I'm telling you the rapture of the church is getting closer and closer. I feel it closer and closer. The book of Matthew says that these are the beginning of sorrows, our birth pains. Y'all women, you ladies know when you're going into labor, right? You kind of know, right? You know when it's happening. You have those birth pains. And when you have those birth pains, you know something's getting ready to happen. Revelation 24 says, and this is the verse 8, this is the beginning of sorrows. When you see these things, this is the beginning of the birth pains. We are living in the hour when the birth pains have begun. Labor has begun. Labor has begun. Labor has begun. Something's coming forth soon. The Savior is coming forth soon. There's birth pains. The earth is beginning to groan for the manifestation of, Of the sons of God. The birth pains have begun. The question is tonight. Are you ready? For the rapture of the church. That's the next great event. Father we love you tonight. We pray Lord that. I know there's others that could teach this better than me. And God I just hope. We're able to express tonight. You're unveiling to your church. In these last days, you're going to begin to equip us and strengthen us. Let us have the faith of John. The willingness to die and be a servant and be a slave to John, to God. Our willingness to do what you ask us to do. We pray tonight, God, that we our lives are right so that when we stand before you, we give an account of our lives and give an account of our lives before you that God we will be overcomers and rewarders, rewarded for our service on this earth that pleases you. That you may say, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for the resurrection of the church, the resurrection of those that now sleep. There's coming a day when our loved ones will be resurrected. They'll come alive again. We'll see them again. They're not gone forever. They're just asleep. And we thank you, God. The promise of the future is bright. We thank you, Lord. We pray this prayer tonight in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.